we are gathered here as the family of God. We know that according to the word of God, that we are all children of the most high through our Lord, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And when we gather in his name, he has told us that we should take communion often in remembrance of what he's done. You know, up until Jesus came, they only did communion at Passover, which is just past, you know. Um, but now, now he says to do it often. He says, here's these elements that from Passover, and I want you to do this often. It's a remembrance that he is our Passover lamb and what that means. Lord, I will be obedient. I did not intend to start the meeting this way, but we are going to be obedient to what our Lord is saying. He's saying that he is the Passover lamb. That is why he came. Lately, I've been reading in the Old Testament and the Jewish people, the Hebrews, God's people, Israel, they celebrated Passover just as they were supposed to do. They sacrificed their Passover lamb just as they were supposed to do. Yet, when Israel turned to other idols, when Israel um, took advantage of God's blessing them through the sacrifice and did their own thing, went after other idols, had sin and didn't care about it, figured, oh, we'll just sacrifice next year and everything will be fine. I'll just add a little bit to my sacrifice. Guess what? It was not good for them. <laughs> Bad stuff happened. They had some, you know, it lasted for a long time. Sometimes it was like hundreds of years of disobedience until finally God said, I've had enough and consequences came. Jesus is our Passover lamb. We cannot do as our brothers have done. We have to say, thank you, Lord, for taking care of our sin. And now I'm going to turn from sin. I'm going to find out about your kingdom. I'm going to do it your way. Let's learn from the Old Testament. That's what the New Testament says it's good for. It's good for learning and for doctrine. It's good to establish God's ways. So today, as we take this communion, Paul said that many of you die, or you, many of you are sick and even fall into death. You sleep because you take it unworthily. So let's not do that today. Let's take these elements and know that Jesus paid the price for our sin, but we are supposed to walk in his ways. We're supposed to learn about our new kingdom because we are children of the most high through him and what he's done. So let's not take this unworthily today. Let's all, if you, if you are taking communion, make a commitment in your heart, Lord, Jesus, you are Lord, master, owner, and I'm going to do it your way. It says so in the Bible. I'm going to do it that way. Whether or not the whole world says that, oh, that's, we don't have to pay attention to that anymore. You know, that's not the way we live. No, Lord, if it says so in the New Testament, we are going to do it your way. We're going to let go of all the Ten Commandments, all the sin. We're going to get rid of that sin from our life. So Lord, today we take this bread, symbolic of your body, the fact that you became human, limited by a physical body. You had to sleep, you had to eat, and yet you were God in that body. You showed us 
what man could do in the perfection of God. We thank you for that today. We thank you for coming and living with us as we take this bread. We ask, Lord, show us the fullness of what you've done and how to walk in it. Lord, you were wounded for us. You were bruised for us. The chastisement needed for shalom from the peace that comes from being free of all the effects of sin was upon you. And with the stripes that wounded you, we've been healed and made whole. Show us how to appropriate all that you did in your body, in your name. Now, Lord, on that last night, you also took the wine, the final glass of wine, it said, and said, take and drink, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And the covenant is an agreement, a bargain between two people. That covenant allows us to give you our life, all the sin, all the failures, and exchange it for your perfect life. Exchange it for the blood that you shed for us to cleanse us of all that imperfection. So, Lord, today, we accept the covenant, the covenant you paid for with your blood. You are our Lord, our master. We will endeavor to hear from you. Do your will. In your name, amen. Let bless this wine to our body. Well, that was the message before the message. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I had no intention of, of uh, preaching or ministering on the, on the communion, but that was what you wanted today. Now is the time for the army to gather at the banners. Now is the time for the plans of the enemy to be revealed. Prepare, prepare. The time is at hand. This is what the Holy Spirit brought as Janine was praying. The trumpets are sounding. It is time to prepare. It is time to gather. Lord, today we gather in you. We gather beneath your wings. We gather beneath your banner call. We thank you, Lord, that we are your army. We are here today to receive instructions from you, Lord, instructions about what is to come. Lord, I thank you for preparing every heart, for readying every mind to grasp your wisdom, your truth today. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, amen. I want to welcome everyone here today to this Agape Christian Fellowship meeting. It has started on a different note today. The Lord is speaking strongly. It is time to prepare. Today's message is about the beast and the Antichrist. Now, this isn't going to be the full revealing of the Antichrist and what he'll be about. It's about his connection to the beast. What is the beast of Revelation? Today, we will begin that discussion so that you can be prepared when you see things happening, when you see things falling into place, 
you will know the time and the season, even if you do not know the very hour. So let's look today to the word of God. You know, one of the great blessings of revelation is that through studying it, we can identify some of the plans of the enemy. Now on the surface, it often seemed cryptic and impossible to understand. If we let the Bible and especially the book of Revelation interpret itself, we can get a good glimpse into the playbook of the enemy, Satan's army. So let's begin today with a Revelation 13.1. This is from American King James. And I stood on the sand of the sea and saw the beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its horns ten crowns, and on his heads the name of blasphemy. Just as the prior chapter briefly recounted Israel's history, now we're going to see a recap of Satan's activity. Most of the imagery and revelation is metaphorical. So we need to examine other scriptures to see how to interpret them. The beast itself is fully revealed in a later chapter. So we need to go to that chapter. Let's begin at the beginning of the beast. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great whore that sits on many waters and whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness and I saw a woman sit on a scarlet colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads, heads and 10 horns. See that seven heads and 10 horns identifies this as the beast from Revelation 13. Hmm. Well, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, so I'm going to go with what he's saying. <laughs> I did not write those down, but a city or a nation is often known as a female. Jerusalem was known as, as the beloved or betrothed of God, as was Israel. So when we see great whore that sits on many waters, this is a city or a nation of some sort that touches many countries. And because we have the kings on earth have committed fornication and the habit inhabitants have been made drunk with their wine, we know that this one place, particular, particular place, can influence kings all across the world, rulers of other nations. Now, before we look at the beast, we have to look more fully into the woman to help us determine what the rest may mean. There is a Greek word, pauruno, which is the most, in the most literal sense, it means unlawful sexual intercourse. However, this is not, this is not literal. The woman wasn't literal. Therefore, we need to look at the metaphorical meaning enlisted in the same place. And it means given to idolatry and the worship of idols. Now, scarlet is the color of red. It's red and it means wisdom. 
So this beast grants power through wisdom. Wisdom may even become an idol. Your knowledge, you think you know so much that you put that above God. Now, this is how the beast begins to infiltrate society. Revelation 17.4, the very next verse says, and the woman has a, was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold, precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Well, purple is the color of royalty and of priesthood. Scarlet again is wisdom. Gold, precious stones and pearls represent wealth. This description is reminiscent of Jezebel, which we will not go into in great detail because a whole class in the Courts of Heaven Academy goes into Jezebel. That's a free school on our website and the, all the materials are free, no charge to you. So the queen, Jezebel, manipulated Ahab into doing her evil bidding. Does, does this woman, because she has some of the characteristics of Jezebel, does that play into this interpretation? Well, we must look further. Remember this royal pair, Ahab and Jezebel, they instituted, instituted the worship of two gods, Baal and Asherah, on a national scale as never before. Verse 17, uh, or chapter 17, verse 5 and 6 says, And on her head was the name Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abomination of the earth, abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Hey, Jezebel also slaughtered God's prophets. He, he slaughtered those who were faithful to God. And she was referred to as the daughter of Babylon. Her name is synonymous with those who lead mankind astray into sinful ways. So she may represent the spirit power behind and, and working through this place, this city, this nation, whatever this place Babylon is. And she gets her power from leading others into sin. That's one of the traits of Jezebel. She loves to lead others into sin. She promises to reveal great mysteries, to bring great riches and power. I believe this represents that there is a spirit of Jezebel, a principality who uses demons who have this, her traits to influence mankind through leaders and perhaps even through one particular city who is worse than all the rest. Let's continue on. Revelation 17, 7 says, and the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the 10 horns. Now we will talk more about that woman um, and Babylon. She's known as Babylon. 
at another time. For now, we're going to continue with the beast. Great news. This chapter is going to reveal, the angel's going to reveal what that beast is that's carrying that woman that we saw rising out of the ocean in chapter 13. As we, as we read these descriptions, we have to assume that woman represents a spirit because there is no actual woman who's been in power and that that spirit is active upon this earth. And at some point, the beast that she's riding, riding will come in strength and power, as it said in, in 13, chapter 13, verse 1. So here's Revelation 17, verse 8. The next one in chapter 17 says, The beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell upon the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, is not, and is yet to come. Twice in this verse, we hear the same description. When you hear something twice, when it's said twice, very close together, it means pay attention. This is important. We hear that the beast was. This is a past tense verb indicating it existed before man. It is not, meaning it's not a physical being. It was before mankind, but it is not really a beast upon this earth. And yet it is, but it still exists. These are three aspects applied to this beast that we must put everything else um, in connection with. It puts this in the category of something that is spiritual, in the spiritual realm, because it's not here in the physical. We know the host of heaven existed before mankind. So it's of the host of heaven. And we'll find out why later. So we'll apply this description of the beast to all the continuing parameters. The bottomless pit holds the angels who rebelled against God after Adam and Eve fell. They were supposed to teach Adam and Eve the ways of how to survive outside the garden. And instead, they began ruling over them and, and went into sin with them. Those angelic beings, those heavenly hosts are chained in the bottomless pit. One of the trumpets as, that we'll study about later releases these demons upon the earth. When that happens, those who are Christians will be drawn to this power, this, this beast that rises, this army that has fooled mankind once before. So from all of these descriptions, it's very clear that we're discussing a spiritual aspect, a spiritual beast that will re be released upon the earth for a season. Revelation 7, 9, or, uh, 17, 17, 9 continues with, and here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Okay, and we need to look elsewhere in the Bible for to interpret this. So here in Jeremiah 51, 25, it also says, behold, 
I'm against you, O destroying mountain, said the Lord. You see, the prophet Jeremiah was referring to Babylon, who was destroying, um, who he got allowed to destroy Israel as a mountain. So here, seven mountains are seven kingdoms. And those are the heads. We cannot forget that they are all riding upon the beast, which is the spiritual, an army of spiritual beings influencing them, granting them power. Um, remember, Jezebel was able to convince people to do things that were very horrible. This means that there are seven earthly kingdoms that rose to power or are rising through the kingdom of darkness. Revelation 17.10 continues, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short space. Okay, well, kings are definitely earthly rulers of kingdoms or countries, and they're doing Satan's bidding. There have been five great movements of Satan king, Satan's kingdom, and they've all completely failed just like Nebuchadnezzar and the Nazis was a more recent one that you may be aware of. The Nazis were trying to destroy God's people, the Jews, which is how we know that they were fueled by Satan's kingdom. Satan has always hated, hated God's people. So according to this verse, one ruler of Satan's kingdom is alive when this prophecy comes about. It could be a false prophet or the Antichrist himself. We'll have to leave that for consideration as we continue with additional meeting, meetings on Revelation, additional messages on Revelation. So the phrase, he must continue for a short space, is nearly identical to what is mentioned in the previous chapter. We'll go all the way back to Revelation 12, Verse 12, it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. So the phrase, he must continue for a short space, is very close, nearly identical to he only has a short time. So we need to look at the next two verses about the beast to see how it will apply. So now we're going to skip ahead to Revelation 13, verse 3. And I saw one of the heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his diddly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So we have five rulers, they're dead and gone. We have two rulers, two other heads remaining, one that is right now, and one that is yet to come. And then we see that one of those heads was wounded to death. That means it was a mortal wound. It should have killed him. But then he was healed. And all the world will seek after him because of that. Well, we know that Satan will be kicked down to earth in the middle of Daniel's week. We've already, we've already read that. So in this near-death state of the wounded head, which is the Antichrist, it might make it quite easy for Satan to strike a bargain with whomever should be wounded. He could guarantee extended life for possession of the body. Because remember, Satan is kicked out of heaven. He's got to go somewhere. 
He's down here on the earth. He wants a body. So I do believe that when Satan is kicked out of heaven, he will inhabit the Antichrist or perhaps the false prophet who's wounded in the head. And that will be the seventh ruler. The devil himself then will actually be one of the final rulers for a short time after the middle of Daniel's week. Whether that makes him a, so whether or not we count the Antichrist as the one who, or I mean, the false prophet is the one who's here, the Antichrist is the one to come, or if the Antichrist is the one who's here now and he's going to be wounded and create a new being with Satan indwelling um, in him, and that's the new head, the seventh, we don't yet know. We're going to put a pin in those things and address those in a future message. Now we'll continue with Revelation 17, 11, and the beast that was and is not, and even he is the eighth and of the seven and goes into perdition. Oh, look, here's confirmation. <laughs> he is of the seven. So those seven rulers were empowered by the beast. He was, and that beast was working through them. The beast being the army of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. So this beast will rule as part of the sixth, seventh, and eighth rulers. Look at that. We have an unholy trinity, three rulers on earth at the same time ruling for the kingdom of darkness. And one of them, the beast, is even a spiritual being. Oh my gosh, if he isn't, Satan isn't trying to imitate God. You know, that is his key. That is his goal. He can't create anything on his own. He has to imitate what God does. This theory, because this is all a theory, none of it can truly be proven without a shadow of a doubt. So this theory is confirmed in the second verse that speaks about the beast. Revelation, we're going to go back to 13, verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like to a leopard, and his feet for the feet as of a bear, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Okay, so we have very three very descriptive, yet very hmm, interesting descriptions of the beast. A leopard is something that lies in wait to attack. A bear is something that walks in power and strength, and the feet are bare. So that means he's got great strength when he's making his strides across the earth. A lion is a ruler. So it is through a ruler that waits and bides his time, comes to at just the right moment that the beast will work and he'll walk with power when he does. Because we have all of these attributes and we know that the dragon gave his power and his seat and his authority to this beast, we know that this is Satan's army. More evidence that Satan is inhabiting the Antichrist 
is because he's giving all his power to him. Verse Revelation 17, verse 12 and 13. And the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings which have reigned, who, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but received power as kings for one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. Because now we have some more players on the scene. We have 10 individuals. When you see kings, it can be male or female. So there are 10 who will come and rule and unite with one mind under the influence and the power and the strength of the beast, Satan's army. There are two Greek words that are used that we should look at for meanings to connect truly what we're saying here about these 10 members of mankind. The word power is actually exousia, the power to rule or govern, the power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obey. So they're not kings, but they will have the power to rule and to govern. Strength, the word strength is actually dunamis. It's authority either as delegated power or unrestrained arbitrary power. So these 10 kings will have a great amount of power and they're gonna give it unto the full control of Satan's army. They are in some complete submission to the Antichrist, the head the head that's alive on the beast. So there may be 10 leaders of an organization that aren't kings. They have no real authority, but they do have power to speak and it has to be followed. And they'll be under the control of a dictatorship of somebody who is in complete authority, the Antichrist. I'm not sure if you've heard, but there is something that's called a global financial reset or the great reset. It is this group that's been around since 1950 and it's trying to put countries under a contract, a set of rules in exchange for having certain power over this country. These rules past debt for that country is erased. It's ran by the World Economic Forum and they, that's the WEF, and they project that private property and even consumer goods will no longer be private property by the year 2030. That is their goal. They've said that the pandemic has aided that goal tremendously allowing them to make rules and regulations and, and start moving in power already. Now, President Biden, the president of the United States at this time, he appointed John Kerry as our nation's first special presidential envoys for climate. At this year, WE, at their WEF meeting that they hold once a year, Kerry firmly declared that Biden, the Biden administration will support the Great Reset. And that the Great Reset, he says in quotes, will happen with greater speed and with greater intensity 
that a lot of people might imagine. Now, this is according to MSN News. This is not some conspiracy theory. This is not some hype. This was on MSN News. So this, or something very much like it, may be the rulership that the Antichrist is putting in place. Because as a ruler of this global financial reset, they can say and determine what is in the best interest of the worldwide society. And they can force nations and peoples to go along with it. We must keep our eyes open and our wits about us and watch closely and see if this will succeed or fail in the coming years. But as we continue looking at the book of Revelation, a little more in information may pinpoint other tools of society which are coming about even now, which the Antichrist can use for his kingdom. Revelation 17, we're going to go back to keep going on 17, verse 14. It says, and these shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is the Lord of Lord, King, King of Kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Okay, so this is the end of the description of the beast and it ends with a great victory for our Lord. We know that, that, that Satan's army will come and clash with God's army, with our Lord's army. And we know at the end of the battle, victory will be ours. But there is much that must take place between those two items. And much will happen before victory is obtained. Let's continue looking after the Antichrist is healed from that wound. According to Revelation 13, 4, and they worship the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like this beast? Who is able to make war with him? How many people do you know that are looking for irrefutable proof of a miracle? When the Antichrist, the wounded head, lays dying from a mortal wound and the whole world sees him miraculously healed, this will cause many to worship the power that healed him. They may not even know that it is not God. When will this happen? We need to be aware of when it will occur so we can be ready, so we cannot be duped, so we can know that we have to hold to, to the true path. Revelation 13 Five verse, verse five and six says, and there was given to him to a mouth to speak, or mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And the power was given to him to continue 40 and two months. And he opened his mouth in, in blasphemy against God to blasphemy his name, his tabernacle, that's heaven, and, or his tabernacle, sorry, would be the temple and them that dwell in heaven. Well, tabernacle of God could be his temple or it could be is in heaven. Daniel 9, 27 says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's seven years. In the middle of the week, he shall cause the sacrifices and obligations to cease. You see, 
that seven-year agreement is signed, and for the first half of it, their sacrifices and offerings in the temple of God, the Antichrist can't really be blaspheming God and heaven and all those that dwell in it at that time. So the wound will happen, and then people will wonder after him. Then the Antichrist will take that opportunity to say, yes, now worship me and, you know, rebel against all those in heaven. So he's going to start blaspheming those who in heaven and those, you know, who and God and everything there after he's healed, after he's got the spotlight of the world on him. And this can only happen after uh, the middle of Daniel's week, that seven-year period, right in the middle is when this can happen. We should look for the Antichrist to be wounded at this time. So what does this mean? It means it cannot really be Obama because of the scar on his head. I've heard people say, oh, Obama's got a scar on his head. Is he the Antichrist? Nope. It can't really be him because the wound has to be new. He has to be mortally wounded unto death and then healed. So unless Obama is healed or is wounded once more and then healed, then it can be him. It must, we know from prior study, be someone who comes in power and strength through peace treaty through a peace treaty with Syria. Could this be Trump? He's doing some peace treaties and supporting them in the Middle East right now. Well, if he took a position in Syria to rule that country, then then yes, but I doubt it. Trump has professed Jesus as Lord. He isn't native to Syria. I doubt they would give him that rulership. I think it has to be somebody native to that area. So we'll still have to wait and see. We need to wait for that peace treaty to sign and be signed and know that at that time, it will, that is the Antichrist. Most likely it is a player who is working in the background. Until that time arises, we just know what to look for and know who he is when he signs it for Syria. Revelation 13, seven and eight says, and it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him all, over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell on earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain, slain before the foundations of the world. Well, look, before we leave, there will be a great tribulation for God's people. There's coming a time when those who call themselves Christians will be divided. Some will be wandering after Satan in an agreement with what's going on there. Some will fall on the wayside and come into agreement with the Antichrist. We will find out who they are when we discuss the churches of Revelation. For now, let's go to Daniel. Daniel is where we find the description of the week the final, the seven days of that will start the great tribulation for God's people. So when we go to Daniel, we'll go to um, Daniel 11 this time and start at verse 31. And we're going to read a little bit about what's coming upon this earth. And the armed forces of his, that's the leader of Syria, shall appear in the holy land and they shall pollute the sanctuary, the spiritual stronghold, and they shall take away the continual daily burnt offerings. I'm beginning there because it's at the middle of that week as we've just discussed. And they will set up in the sanctuary the abomination that astonishes and makes desolate. 
and so we know that something is going to happen and be placed in the temple of God that's been set up and they've been doing sacrifices for three and a half years. That is when those sacrifices are taken away and this happens. It's in the middle of that tribulation week of Daniel. So we're going to continue on and see what is in store for the body of Christ. And such as violate the covenant, he shall pervert and seduce with flatteries. But the people who know their God shall prove themselves strong and shall stand firm and do exploits for God. So now we see that the man of the covenant, the Syrian leader, not the king of Syria, but has the authority of the king who enters into this covenant. He's going to seduce many and many are going to fall. Because that spirit, that beast, the spirit that rides upon that beast is going to be working through him and going to make him mighty. But those who know their God, we have to know God's ways. We have to learn his ways. Those who really know God and are close to him, they shall prove themselves strong. They are going to stand firm and do great exploits for God at the same time. Anyone who's not holding on to tight to God's ways may be corrupted and deceived. Daniel 11, 33 continues, And they who are wise and understanding among the people shall instruct many and make them understand, though some shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and plunder for many days. There's going to be hardship for some Christians around the world especially around the Middle East, Israel, that area that's already hostile towards Christians, it's just going to get worse. And this is after that midpoint in the tribulation. There'll be a group, there's going to be some of God's people teaching his ways, and there are going to be many that come to understand. But Satan's power is also amplified during that last three and a half years. Remember, he's down on the earth, and he's taking a toll on God's people. That first half of Daniel's week, there's some semblance of the peace treaty. But after that, all pretense is gone. The gloves come off and Satan comes after Christians. Daniel 11, 35, 34 through 35 said, Now when they fall, some shall receive a little help. Many shall join themselves to them with flatteries and hypocrisies. And some of those who are wise, prudent, and understanding shall be weakened and fall. Thus then the insincere among the people will lose courage and become deserters. So know that not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will go with them. Some, he says, he says to them, I, you know me not. I know you not. To some, it's just all lip service. There are hypocrisies. They're flattering. God sent me something. The Lord sent me something about this in the secret place today. When I was with him, here's what he said about this time. That my bride will need to mend her dress to hold the line and pass the test. Some wise, discerning, prudent too, may fall by the wayside instead of holding to what's true. Not all will be ready to let go. 
grasping the new and letting go of the old. Danger is coming upon the sheep to rob, to steal, and cause some to sleep. This is what is, is coming. Some will have trouble letting go of the old wineskin, letting go of the old ways. They've been focused too long on something that isn't the true, the true Lord. There's other things interfering. They won't be able to hold the path. The flatteries and hypocrisies are those who are proclaiming our place as the bride of Christ, declaring that the war is won. Oh yes, they give great lip service to what Jesus has done, but the war, it has only just begun. When those leaders fall, even some who are wise and prudent will go with them. This is part of that great falling away which must happen before Jesus returns which we will discuss later. And all the kings, this is Daniel eleven thirty six. and all the kings shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against God, the God of gods. That's our God, God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that, for that which is determined by God shall be done. You see, the Antichrist places himself above everyone. When he goes in the temple, when his wound is healed, he declares himself to be above the God of gods. He blasphemies. He takes to task everyone until the indignation be accomplished. You see, this refers to God's fury building with his actions, that cup of wrath being filled up by the actions of the Antichrist and people coming into agreement with him. When that wrath is full, then it will be poured out. That determined end will come by God. So how should we respond to these threatening situations? There are gonna be some tribulous times. How should you respond when others are siding with the Antichrist and you know that's wrong? Revelations 13, 9 and 10, it, let's complete with that this today. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leaves, leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. This is God's answer. If you think for your rights, if you demand, if you get out there and, and you are going to take captive and, and control things, guess what? It's going to turn back on you. We must stand our ground in faith with patience, knowing that the time of our Lord is close. We cannot rise up and rebel with force. More lives will be lost. Instead, we need to focus on what this says we're going to do. We need to focus on teaching others God's ways so that they will be ready for the return of the Lord. So they'll be made white and pure. Their dress for the Lord, their wedding gown will be mended. We want the lanterns lit of the ten virgins. We want them shining with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Only 
the teaching and instructing of God's ways can accomplish that, not fighting against one another. Let's not go into war. Let's instead do what our Lord has told us to do. That's where his grace is. That's where we'll find his favor. That's what he has to, us to do in these last days. That is the beginning of the messages on the beast, on the Antichrist. Next week, we'll be talking about the false prophet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that these were your words coming forth today. If it be so, Lord, let them take root in the fertile grounds of the heart at them, of those that heard. Holy Spirit, I place them in your hands. You are the true bringer of wisdom and understanding. Help them, Holy Spirit, find the truth, God's truth here today. Let them know what God has to say. I place them in your hands, Holy Spirit. Let faith come. Let them be bold and strong. Let them listen to the instructions of their Lord. Open their ears to hear. Open their eyes to see so they can stay on that narrow path so that your will may be done even here on earth as it is in heaven. In your name, Jesus. Amen. That is our message today. We have a question concerning the mountains. What are the nations the mountains of the mountains mentioned? Will the Antichrist be revealed before the rapture? Okay. These are two very good questions. Um, and I didn't even think about it till I read this question and the Holy Spirit was right there. Well, we know that the Antichrist will be one of the rulers. We know that um, he will come from Syria and that he will be empowered by Syria and he will institute the peace treaty. So we know that one of those mountains is Syria. The other mountain, hmm, that is a wonderful question. I actually love it, Beatrice, because now we know that those two mountains have to be two separate cities, two separate kingdoms. So they can't both be the Antichrist. There has to be the false prophet who will join with the Antichrist. And we'll see that in, a, in the next message, probably about the false prophet. So um, those two, and the mountain on which he sits, also.